Welcome to the Platform Podcast, where we talk to coaches, athletes, experts, and real people to learn about their approaches to training, nutrition, mindset, and much more. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi Wright, founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy lifestyles. On this episode, my guest is David Thomas Tao, the co-founder and CEO of Barbend.com, the largest website covering strength sports in the world. And on this episode, we get into his background as a professional voice actor, uh, as well as how Barben came to be, a little bit about kettlebell sport and their recent coverage of Kim Fox and how they plan on covering the sport more in the future, and his ideas on how we could potentially grow the sport in a similar fashion as we see with USA Weightlifting and CrossFit. I also want to take a second to say that I'm incredibly grateful that you listened to this podcast, and if you haven't already please be sure to leave a rating and review of the platform podcast in your app of choice and support my work by supporting our sponsors whose links you'll find in the episode notes. And if you want to step onto the platform and compete in kettlebell sport, reach out to me. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Twin Cities Kettlebell Club or email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Now let's step onto the platform with David Thomas Tao. All right, welcome into this episode of the Platform Podcast. My guest today is David Thomas Tao. He is the co-founder of Barbend.com. David, thank you so much for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to uh, good to be here virtually. I said here, but I'm I'm in the same place I've been for a long time. I'm in my home, so <laughs> I, I think I think we're all, I think we're all kind of used to that at this point. It's a it's a little weird. Zoom Zoom kind of feels like home now, uh, and we we travel virtually into other people's backgrounds. Uh, so <laughs> where is where is home right now? Is it is it Brooklyn? It's Brooklyn, New York. Yep. Nice, nice. Well. I have you are now I think the third or fourth person on the podcast from Brooklyn. So Brooklyn is is well represented on on the platform podcast. So Brooklyn, Brooklyn in the house. Brooklyn in the house. Love it. Love it. So you uh, obviously host the Barben podcast which is up to what like two like almost 200 episodes now I think in in the bank, right? It's somewhere between 150 and 200. If you ask me for a specific number gun to my head, I'd get it wrong. So I, I <laughs> it's somewhere between I know it's between 150 and 200 because our sound engineer recently reminded me that and I was like, "Oh, okay." On the next like onto the next thing we don't we don't focus on we produce so much content at barbend on all the different you know podcasts articles and etc that like it's tough to keep track of numbers yeah it, I, I do I honestly i honestly started adding episode numbers to my pod like i just literally went back and did that because i saw somebody else was doing that on another podcast that i follow and i was like that's a really good idea. That's going to save me a lot of time trying to remember and having to go back and count like, wait, what season are we in? What episode number is it? And, and all of that. So I just started like numbering them from, from one and, and, and up. I, I, that we might want to redo. There's a reason we didn't do that. I'm trying to remember um, someone on our team had a reason for us to not do that. So we didn't, but in hindsight, maybe it's something we'll go back and add in. Uh, like I said, I work with a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am, and they have they have good reasons to do things or not to do things. And my job these days is being told why something is good or something is bad, and deciding whether or not to go along with it. So, hey, part of part of being smart is knowing when other people know more than you and letting and letting them, uh, you know, handle their area of expertise. That is that is an, another type of intelligence. That is a leadership intelligence. So, kudos to you. So after after one fifty to two hundred ish episodes, somewhere in that in that range, uh, how does it feel being on the other side of a microphone, on the other side of the interview? How how often are you uh, the guest rather than the host? Uh, fairly frequently, actually, like about uh, a few times a month at least, oh, cool. uh, generally. So I think I counted. I've I've uh, been on around like forty to fifty podcasts. Uh, I keep like a running sheet that I update every few months. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's always different. And it's a lot of fun to talk to people. Sometimes we talk about Barbend and the media company there. Um, sometimes we'll talk about some of the other media stuff I've did before Barbend or outside of Barbend. Um, I'm a voiceover actor on the side. So I've done like fiction podcasts. I normally play villains, weirdly enough. So those are always <laughs> like a lot of fun. And I kind of count those. Um, so it's, it's, it's more fun being on in my chair than in, in 
than in yours. And I, I have <laughs> enough experience to say that very confidently. Nice. Well, uh, you're the first, as far as I'm aware, the first uh, professional voiceover actor I've, I've ever had on. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot and say, give me, give me a villain voice. I want to, I want to hear a villain character. <laughs> okay. That is very, that's, that's, that's a loaded guy. That's a, a loaded question because, well, first off, I, I feel bad. I don't have like my pro audio setup. I have this kind of like casual nighttime, my headphones set up. So if I don't sound crystal clear, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but I don't, the thing is like, they, no one ask me for crazy voices i don't do like kooky i don't do you know like in my demo reel i do like a yosemite sam style character but like everyone hates it and they're like remove it from your just remove it so normally it's just a very it's like basically my normal voice playing a villain maybe like a little deeper or something but most voiceover work you're just doing some variation of your normal voice because like most of the stuff you record is not cartoons like unless you're specifically recording for like pokemon you are you are you are not doing a crazy or like the Teletubbies. You're not doing a crazy voice. You're doing like an adult real voice, and that's what they look for. And if you if you have that voice, they cast you. Nice. Yeah, that's that's something I didn't. I I only recently learned that like Mark Hamill played the Joker in like the Batman animated series that I grew up as a kid listening to, and I had no idea until just a few years ago. That is in the voiceover community considered. That is like he did do a lot of interesting things with his voice there. Uh, that is a cartoon, and that is like widely considered some of the best voiceover work like ever done. Like people will point to who is the best, you know, voiceover villain ever done, and Mark Hamill's Joker is like way up there. He has someone dissected it. There's like a, a clip reel online that is like very much illegally ripped from. <laughs> DC property of like he does like 10 different laughs distinct laughs and he'll do them for different situations so like Mark Hamill actually diagrammed out which laugh the Joker did in these like very specific situations and he's very consistent so it's like this is a laugh when he like comes up with a plot this is the laugh when Batman first shows up and it's just it's so good that's awesome. I'm going to have, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to like look that up because that's, I I've always thought it was super impressive when I, when I went back and listened to it, uh, how good he is with his, with his voiceover work. I'm like Hank Azaria, like obviously a guy that can do like 97 characters. I don't even know what his, what his total is now. I kind of stopped watching the Simpsons, you know, a few years ago, but like he's done so many different characters and he can just like the number of voices that he's responsible for on the Simpsons. I know we're still talking cartoon voiceover actors, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, impressive to me it's all in the lead up by the way the one thing i'll say about hank Azaria, i love his voiceover his voiceover work but he is he's a very good like on-screen actor if you go back yeah. and you watch like i watched mystery men recently and i also re-watched the bird cage recently he's just a good actor if you've ever seen the, time for pretending if you've never seen the bird cage just just watch it his character is just the funniest yeah, thing I've ever fantastic. seen. On yeah, no, that is, that is very, yeah. Hank Azaria is just through and through just a, a talented human being. He's one of those guys. He's, he's more talented than is kind of fair for any one, one person yeah. to be like. And he makes like a million dollars per Simpsons episode. And honestly, like wow. deservedly so like there are certain people who just make so much money for what they do. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. They deserve that. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, well, and how many like how many hours does he spend doing the all of the different voices that he's doing on a, on any given on any given episode? So I have no idea. It's, it might not even be a million. It might be like it's like something some ridiculous number per episode. I'm just pulling that out of thin air. Yeah, yeah. He's well, he's well compensated, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's fair. <laughs> you know, you're just like, yeah, okay. LeBron James makes X dollars per basketball game. Yeah, probably about right. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. He's he's a little he's a little rare at what he does. So, well, I know I know you're a fan of uh, of an origin story. So, um, a lot of my listeners are probably not going to be super familiar with with Barbend. You know, they, they some of them will be, but some of them won't because there's not a ton of crossover yet. Hopefully, there's going to be more kettlebell sport content coming uh, at some point. But uh, give people the origin story of of Barbend.com. How did how did that come about? Sure. Well, first off, thanks for thanks for bringing it up. I I love talking about Barbend. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Barbend, and we are the world's largest strength sports website. So, um, I I don't want to sound too like con conceited, but my hope is that a lot of listeners have actually heard of it. And if you haven't, it's a really good time to be listening about it if you're interested in kettlebell sport, um, because we have started covering it very recently, actually. Um, yeah, just I'll get to the cool profile on Kim, on Kim Fox. Well, get to that in a second. I actually have some cool numbers to share on that. Oh, on nice. Um, so Barbend started in 2016. So my background is in journalism and then fitness journalism. So I've, I was um, 
the editorial director for a large uh, health and wellness site as like one of my first jobs out of college. I don't know how I got the job, but whatever. Um, then I was a freelance editor for a number of years. I worked, um, I was a contractor for everyone from uh, Samsung's like wearables and fitness and wellness division when they were trying to launch that to uh, to CrossFit HQ and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, and Barbend was something that I founded with my now business partners in early 2016. We actually had four different websites we were running at, at any given period. Um, we've since exited all of the all of those except for Barbin. Barbin is the one we have left right now. Did it, did um, it absorb the other ones, or were they like in different verticals? Entirely? They were just completely different verticals, and okay. uh, and we've since sold those websites. Um, and uh, Barbin was for a long time the smallest uh, in a lot of ways, but also like our favorite because it's something we're really passionate about. I've always loved strength sports. I've always been really interested in uh, weightlifting, CrossFit. I co-owned a CrossFit gym for a while. I just I absolutely love strength training. I'm not the best athlete, but I love the culture. I love the community. I've made some of my best friends and like that human element is something that I really loved. And I was like, oh, we need to create a resource for people across strength sports, not just CrossFitters, not just weightlifters, not just powerlifters, not just strong, but like a place for strength athletes. I caught like the ESPN for strength athletes. We're not, that's a bad comparison because like ESPN's a multi, multi-billion dollar company. Hey, but, they started somewhere uh, though, right? Like ESPN, ESPN started with just like random things and then started covering the NFL draft when nobody else did. And like, you know, they, they became huge. So you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, but yeah, so we started in, we were, were just under five years old. Um, we're pretty much the largest in this space. We get millions and millions of readers a month. I can't share exactly those numbers publicly, but it's, yeah. it's a lot. Um, and uh, kind of produce, a big deal. We produce content. Well, we're very lucky because it was just, you know, me and my co-founders for a while. And we since um, we since have built a great team. Um, we've got about uh, we're actually in going to be in a bit of a hiring phase this year. But right now we've got call it 10 people full time um, nice. or around then that that number seems to change a little bit week to week as as we grow. And then we have work with Oh, nearly a hundred different contributors from around the globe, from all corners of strength sports. And it's barbend.com. Um, we are, we do publish on our website. That's where we publish most content. Like we have an Instagram account. We have a YouTube account. We have a podcast, but it's really the site is like, is the, the our baby. And um, we have just started. We're are the official media partner of USA Weightlifting. We're an official media provider for World Paralympic Powerlifting. So we work a lot with the Paralympic Games and weightlifting, which is the Olympic Games strength sport. We work directly with CrossFit HQ. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very cool. And we're very fortunate. We're very lucky to have kind of made it this far for it to be a real company. And we have started covering uh, kettlebell sport more. You mentioned we, we actually put up a, a profile on Kim Fox over the weekend. That was written by Mr. Bobby Hicks. Shout out to Bobby. Uh, shout out connect, to Bobby Hicks. Uh, he who connected us. Yes, exactly. You, you stole my segue. No, I'm kidding. I'm absolutely <laughs> kidding. Bobby is amazing and has been super supportive of me as I kind of get into kettlebell sport. Um, and it, I, I, I can't share specific, specific numbers because I, I can only share like those with the author, but I can confidently say. I'll like, get them very, from Bobby, don't I, You'll get them from Bobby, <laughs> yeah. Because um, they've changed because uh, the article is still doing very well. I can confidently say it is the most read article on the internet in relation to kettlebell sport so far in 2021. Like nice. I can say that very confidently. Um, and that's a testament to Bobby's amazing work. He wrote a really engaging profile and also a testament to how amazing Kim is. Yes. And once people started reading that article, they couldn't stop because it's like, holy cow, wait, how have we never heard of this person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. She is, uh, Kim is, Kim is something else. And it's, I mean, for, for context, for people that aren't, for people that aren't aware, I'm, I'm six one two sixty, and Kim is, you know, competing a hundred pounds lighter than me. And, and, and she is putting up numbers on the double 24 long cycle that I can't match yet. Right. Like I'm chasing Kim Fox on my, on my, on my long, on my long cycle numbers. Right. Like I, and I'm in, I'm in the men's heavyweight division. Like she is just kicking ass. She is the, the all, you know, the all world record holder in, in double, in double long cycle for, for women. And it's uh, not even close at this point. Like she is just crushing. It's, it's fantastic. It's a great piece too. It's, it's really hard. I mean, Bobby did an amazing job. I mean, he's just such a nice, how can you like not open up to him if he's profiling you? Right. Uh, he's yeah. just, He's such a, a a cool person to talk to, um, but it's 
it is also tough to compare Kim to another strength athlete. Like I was playing around a lot with headlines. I was going back and forth. I don't edit most of what goes up on Barbed at this point. We have a great editorial team, but I did work with Bobby directly on this because he's a friend of mine and I'm passionate about kettlebell sport. And I kind of want to open up that vertical on Barbed. And we were kind of going back and forth on a title. And I really wanted to like compare her to someone in the title. You know how people are like, yeah, yeah. He, the Jerry Rice of, of, foosball or you know the the michael jordan of badminton like there but there's no there's not like a really good comparison for kim in strength sports you can't call her like the matt fraser of kettlebell sport because she is just so much more dominant she's just so dominant there isn't like a a a good analog for her right right now well and kettlebell sport is in this um really exciting but also kind of nascent slash exploding phase like it's it's in this it's in kind of i would i hope you know that it's in the phase that crossfit went through you know back in the early in the early 2010s right when it was like it started off as kind of this localized community thing and then you know it got popular and then it just like wildfire exponential growth boxes popped up everywhere it got the deal with reebok and suddenly it was everywhere and now it's this you know mammoth thing i i hope kettlebell sport goes that direction it's really huge in europe but it's not anywhere close to that here in the States yet. I have a theory as to what will, and I don't want to like, it's, it's your podcast. I want to talk about the things you want to talk about. This, but is, I, no, this is one of the questions on my, on my list, because you know a thing or two about how, how strength sports grow and how we build community. And my vision is to bring kettlebell sport to the mainstream in America. So take it away, man. Tell me. So I was thinking about this because we, we work very closely with USA weightlifting and they were kind enough to give us access to, and this is like not, what I'm about to say is not counting like COVID numbers because like gyms, sports governing bodies and things like that, a lot of people like put memberships on hold and stuff during COVID. So right, like 2020 numbers for strength sports, they seem super low because they are, because like there weren't events and stuff yeah. like that. So, but USA weightlifting was kind enough to share with Barbend their membership data from the past 15 years. And when I first got interested in weightlifting, it was like 2008, 2009. I was like looking at YouTube videos, talking to people online, seeking out coaches where I lived at the time. I did find some, which was great. Got into that sport for a while. Um, But like their numbers just exploded. And actually I can share, I'll share the link with you after this. We posted it on Instagram, um, just like a chart of USA weightlifting's growth, membership growth over since like 2007. It's insane. Absolutely insane. And it's like 100%, not 100%. Um, but it's very, very heavily influenced by the growth of CrossFit. You can, you can draw a very direct comparison. And that's for a few reasons. One, CrossFit exposed a lot of people to the snatch and clean and jerk and a lot of people who were like, I don't really like breathing heavy and doing kipping pull-ups, but I do like the snatch and clean and jerk. And CrossFit leaned into that and like worked with USA Weightlifting on a bunch of stuff, which is cool. Um, so, you know, some, some cross-sport and organization synergy, but it also made the equipment much more available, right? And it was like, okay, when I moved to New York in 2011, I wanted to train in weightlifting. I lived in Manhattan at the time. I had to go way out into Queens, like like an hour and a half, like into the deepest reaches of the outer boroughs. Now, if I want to train in weightlifting, I'll go to COVID notwithstanding. Like there's a CrossFit gym like every four blocks in New York now. And I can train with like decent equipment. Yeah. And people know what weightlifting is. And they're like hours to go train in weightlifting. It's so available often because of just equipment availability. I think for the same thing to happen to kettlebell sport, one, the equipment has to become available. And I think that the pandemic is actually going to increase knowledge of kettlebells and people are buying more kettlebells. And I've talked to several kettlebell manufacturers. I, I won't name names, but I've talked to several kettlebell manufacturers and everyone's like, we're increasing production. Demand is through the roof right now. Cool. So the equipment availability is like thing number one. That's kind of happening. Thing number two is just visibility and someone to shoot for. Um, in weightlifting, it was the early days of like YouTube. People were watching Cal strength videos. People were watching video rip videos from old Olympic games. They were like, I want to try and hit those numbers. Or they saw CrossFitters like Rich Froning snatched 300 pounds. Well, he's just a CrossFitter. I bet I can do that if I'm just a weightlifter. For kettlebell sport, you have to have equipment availability. Okay. That's kind of happening right now. And a lot of different companies are working on it and more people are working out at home. Visibility is the other component. And I think long ramble to get to this i think what would trigger that more than anything is if dave castro programmed a kettlebell sport long cycle or or a short cycle or just jerks but i think a kettlebell sport long cycle in like the finals of the crossfit games yeah yeah like absolutely I, I like the top 10 men top 10 women get them competition bells oh, and God. and be like okay be like go for it and then what they could do because crossfit kind of used to do this stuff they bring in like, 
okay, here's a good example. Like for, they, you know, they point to like a gymnast who's fantastic at this thing when they introduce a new gymnastics movement. This is years ago. Bring in like a top kettlebell sport athlete. Bring in Kim Fox. Yeah. Right? Bring in Kim Fox and be like, cool, she's going to do the men's weights and she's going to show you how it's done. And you're going to watch her do this. And then you're going to attempt it in front of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of viewers live. And that would explode kettlebell sport more than literally anything else possible right now. In my, yeah. in my opinion. I No, I, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I love that. I love that thought. Like, because one of the frustrations I've had with, uh, with CrossFit's application of kettlebell uh, as a kettlebell athlete, right. And one of the, one of the things that drives me crazy is when I see people just these phenomenal athletes who are just throwing around these bells in the most inefficient way. And I'm like, you guys spend so much time working on your, on your, on your kipping efficiency, your muscle ups, your rings, your, your, you know, your cleans, your snatches, and like, and you're throwing around these kettlebells in the least efficient movement pattern possible. And this is an, an output driven event. Like this, this doesn't make, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm just like, Oh, I want to get my hands on, on one of these guys and show them like a good way to do an American swing or like an efficient way to do it without blowing their shoulders, without blowing up their back. And I don't mean blowing up like injury. I mean, like with the, the, you know, uh, getting the, the hypertrophy or the, the, the vasodilation and, and the pump, right. You know, how, how do you not, how do you not blow up your shoulders, pump them up so much, but you know, I, I completely agree with you. Like if they could get uh, a kettlebell sport specific movement into the finals and get that visibility. I would, I would love to see it. And I would love to see what, you know, some of these dominant athletes that are, that are in the sport right now, uh, what they would do, the kind of numbers that they would, that they would put up because it would be really, it would be really interesting to see. Well, CrossFit always references how like force production and how much, how much power you're, you're putting out is ultimately like oftentimes what they're trying to test. Like they, they've said that Castro, Dave Castro programs at games has said in the past, like, oh, I wish I had like a, a force plate that I could measure everything with. And like we could, you know, it's obviously not like a perfect comparison, but, you know, which athlete is, is producing the most power in, in, a, in a, an event will tend to be the winner. Uh, again, an imperfect analogy, but something CrossFit has referenced. You combine that also with the fact that like CrossFitters love being good at everything. Yeah. Like the, the, I think, I think what happened in CrossFit was suddenly people were like, oh, CrossFitters will never snatch 300 pounds. And now like every male games athlete snatches 300 pounds. Every female games athlete snatches like 200 or 220 pounds. If these used to be like elite weightlifting numbers in the U S and now like yeah. every cross, every CrossFit games athlete can hit them basically. Um, like I really want to, I really want to see Castro piss people, pardon my French, piss people off. I don't think there's anything. It reminds me of, um, this is really nerding out. Way back in 2010, Rich Froning finished second at the CrossFit Games. He went on to win four times in a row after that. But yeah. the reason he finished second is because he didn't know how to climb a rope and they put rope climbs in and he didn't know how to like hook his legs. So he was just using he was his doing arms. straight arm pulls. I've seen just, that video. Yeah. <laughs> and his arms blew out and he <laughs> fell down and he like, he like broke his foot basically. Um, yeah. And like in Graham Holmberg one and Graham Holmberg was super fit and like was fitter that day because he knew how to climb a rope and that was one of the tests. And then Froning came back and like was just Destroyed so just so good <laughs> at everything and including rope climbs like you want to see some you want to piss some people off like have the CrossFitters have like Kim Fox come out and and and, and put up an awesome number number or have like uh any other of the top you know athletes get, get, get dennis Vasilov out there get, get, well, get him like, out yeah yeah i mean and just really break a bunch of hearts um <laughs> and and like then just see how upset these elite athletes get when they realize they can't come close to matching that because it is a sport that like you have to train for it is something specific if you try and just muscle it you're going to get crushed yeah. Like there's no way you hang on for 10 minutes. The bells, the bells are very, very humbling. Um, they, they have humbled and broken many a soul. There is, there is definitely, there is definitely some truth to that. And no one, there, there are millions of CrossFitters. And the one thing they all have in common is they love destroying themselves. And you know what the thing is, CrossFit <laughs> hasn't had anything new. They, they've, they're kind of like running out of new stuff. Like, like Rogue will build them new equipment or these like weird contraptions, but like there hasn't been a really big new thing in CrossFit for a while. So like this could be that element. Make it I happen. I would love that. I would love I, that. I've been like trying to, I'm, I'm like, I'm like barking up some trees about, about this actually, maybe Barben should sponsor an event at the CrossFit games. We, maybe we should, we should shell out for that. that we'll sponsor awesome. like, like the long cycle event that completely demoralizes everyone, <laughs> but then gets everyone really jazzed to train in this. Yeah, that would be they, like I, my dream. 
I think people, I think people would get really excited about it too. I think, and, and the, the viewership would be like, Oh my God, what is this? Like this, this new thing, there is this completely new thing. You know, it would, it would blow up the next day from the comments and like, it would go viral. I'm, I'm quite certain. So um, of all of the, of all of the things that you've, you've seen, you know, you've been around strength sports for so long and, and Barbin uh, does a great job of covering the whole breadth. And you guys just posted the other day, uh, a question, what's the most impressive feat of strength. So I got to ask you your own question, right? Like what is the most impressive feat of strength that you've seen in your, in your strength sports coverage? Like what's the thing that you're like, wow. And I'm um, sure there's more than one, but what's the, if I put you, put you to one. Yeah. Nothing I've seen live. I, I think the most impressive performance in strength sports history uh was uh Yurik Vardanian in I want to say it was like the 1983 world championships it was like an early to mid 80s world championships Vardanian who was lifting he's a Soviet lifter uh actually from Armenia his son Norik Vardanian actually lifted for Armenia and for the United States um at different times and he put up a total the body weight classes were different and I don't remember the numbers exactly off the top of my head, but he put up a total in like a middleweight category, a light middleweight category that would have won in every other category at that championships, except for the super heavies. And he would have meddled as a super heavy. Wow. And like those numbers, if you were to extrapolate those numbers to that body weight, not even close to anything that's been matched today, I think it was, I want to say he weighed like 82 kilos and he was snatching around 190 kilos, clean and jerking around 222 kilos or something like that. Again, I, w I should have had these numbers. I didn't realize you did. I would have had these numbers up. I think it's I might okay. be underselling his numbers. It might've been like 192 kilos that he snatched or something, but that performance where he wow. just literally won would have won the, the every weight class above him of which there were multiple except for super heavy. And he would have like easily meddled as a super heavy. That to me is just, the craziest standout performance I think I've ever, I've ever heard of. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's definitely up there. I, I know you had, uh, you had Chris Duffin on, on your podcast uh, a while back and he did the the grand goals of he, he squatted a thousand pounds for three and then deadlifted a thousand pounds for three. And I watched the live stream of him do the thousand pound deadlift for three. And that was like that you're, you know, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen live, you know, and that was, that was, but I, I've got to look up, I've got to look up the, your, the one that you're talking about. I'll, that, I'll send it. I'll send it to you right after this so you can have it for the show notes because I don't want to like undersell this amazing event. Chris is cool. Chris Duffin is a really cool guy to get to know because he's grand goals. Like he really, he doesn't just, he's not like competing against anyone. He's just trying to push the boundaries of what is physically possible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we have a great episode with him talking about how he trains for, like he trained just the squat for nearly a year to see if he could squat a thousand pounds for a triple. Like just the squat, he trained the squat like that's all he did. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> like, like and no one and, and all and all of the adjunct mobility restorative, uh, <laughs> right, all, right. Like all all the stuff he had to do to just like keep destroying his body and rebuilding it and destroying it and rebuilding it stronger and destroying it rebuilding it stronger, but all for the purpose of one lift. Yeah, for it, for over a year. <laughs> and he did the same for the deadlift. You know, four years before that. So he's. It's almost. It's tough to compare him to anyone else because like he's just doing that. He's just doing that to push the envelope of, of human performance, not to like win, not to win a medal. And he's yeah. also doing it to raise a lot of money for charity, which he's done, which is super, super cool. Yeah. 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 Chris. Yeah. He's one of, he's one of those guys. I definitely, I definitely look up to a lot um, because just because of all of the interesting things about his, his backstory and all the things that he's done and the ability to take a, like a three-year training plan and stay focused for that long. And that like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty insane to me. I will say Eddie Hall's deadlift. Um, yeah, the 500 kilo deadlift. The 500 kilo, which doesn't look that crazy now because like Hawthor did 501 and there are like a lot of people who are kind of chasing 510 right now. We've written about some of them on, on Barbend. But like at the time, literally no one thought he could do that. The heaviest that had ever been done before that I think was 462 or 463 it's, it's like the it's like the sub four minute mile right it's like it's like once people realized it could be done suddenly now there's you know a handful of people that are doing it well it so someone realized it could be done and then it still took four years to do it again <laughs> it is worth noting <laughs> yeah, that like that is, that is fair we had a 500 kilogram deadlift so it was proven it could be done and then it took four years before a once in a generation athlete came and said and trained for just that and was like, cool, I'm going to beat that by one <laughs> kilogram. 
<laughs> by yeah. by two point like, two pounds. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna beat that by like point two percent. You know, like it's <laughs> it is kind of so that is kind of ridiculous. And I think it's just because like no one believe no one believed he could do it. I remember talking to a lot of people before that Barman was still very young. Like we don't have the network we have now, but I remember talking to a lot of people and they were like, No, there's no they're like, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. And he he proved he proved everyone these days everyone kind of couches their statements. Yeah. They're like they're like, yeah, it can, it'll probably happen. If not now, then like he'll get it next time or something, right? But back but back then everyone was like, no way. And have you seen the behind the scenes like footage of, of him like the 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 impact on it, like his heart rate was like him on the stretcher and everything afterwards? Like I just saw that like a couple of weeks ago and I was like, holy crap. It doesn't surprise me, but I was still like, wow, that was that's scary. Like it got scary. I want to emphasize that like reaching us that level in, in most strength sports is not necessarily the healthiest thing, right? <laughs> like I don't like we write about these people because they're impressive and they're inspiring, but, but they don't inspire, you know, I, I think that we could probably do a better job of this. You know, it's not inspired. It, I, I don't necessarily think that should inspire you to go out and deadlift, try and deadlift 500 kilos, but maybe it should inspire you to like incorporate weight training as part of like a healthy lifestyle. Or maybe it should inspire you that like you're probably stronger than you think you are. And a lot of it's mental, right? One thing I love about kettlebell sport is that it's, um, I do, I do think that for, personally for me, it's promoted a, a bit of a healthier lifestyle because mm -hmm. I'm doing something that's a little bit more endurance based and sub maximal loads. And I actually yeah. feel like my body's taking a little less of a beating. So these big major lists are super, super impressive. Um, but I think a lot of people see them more and more as like, cool, that convinces me that like, maybe I have more potential in me. Not that like, I'm going to go out and try and do something that's going to put me on a stretcher. Because if you're listening to this and you're going for a deadlift, that's going to put you on a stretcher, like, don't do it. Yeah, he, he made a lot of money and he got paid a lot of money to do that. And that, you know, that's a, a whole other trade-off, right? That's the, like the, the triangle of awareness, right? You've got performance aesthetics and, and longevity and like, you can't optimize, you have to optimize for one. You can't optimize for any of them at the same time. And like, he chose performance over everything else at the cost of longevity. But, but you'll notice what, there are two humans in the world who have deadlifted 500 kilograms and they both immediately dropped a bunch of weight. Yeah. and changed their lifestyles completely and like started getting on the, the stationary bike and started jumping rope. And now they're, they're fighting each other. Now they're yeah. going to box. <laughs> yeah. That's not necessarily the healthiest thing, but you'll notice that like, like Thor, he deadlifted 501 and like he dropped 40 pounds in like two weeks after that. He was like, cool, I'm slimming down and he's ripped. ripped. Now. Yeah. They're both ripped. It's yeah. It's ridiculous. Like, yeah. Uh, it's, I'm, I don't even want to know what their calorie consumption was prior to prior to doing those deadlifts. And then once they cut it, like once they once they did it, they were like, OK, I don't need those extra 4000 calories a day that I was force feeding myself. I tried to eat. There's actually a video on um, Barben that we released. I tried back in Thor's like when he was training for that deadlift. Um, I tried his diet. I tried to eat like him for a day and <laughs> and and failed. And it's how, how many calories was it? Um, I'll send you the video. It's it's. Um, it was over eight. It was between eight and 10,000. That's what I was and, thinking. I was thinking 10,000 was in my head. Like it had to be close to 10. And I, I tried eating exactly like to the gram, like made all the food, followed his, follow his days, followed his day of eating and just failed. <laughs> just <laughs> failed. That couldn't have been fun. I mean, that, that could not have been fun. It was great for like the first two meals. Cause I was just really hungry that day. I was like, yeah, I'm coming to eat. And, and, but like, it just, uh, you'll, I would, it, I shouldn't have done it. And it was, it was a bit reckless. Um, and in hindsight, it's not like, I'm like, oh, if I have kids, they're going to see that video and be like, dad did stupid, dangerous <laughs> stuff to his body. And I'm going to be like, don't ever do that. It was so stupid. So don't do that. You will <laughs> like, I can eat a lot. Yeah. Um, like I've done eating contests before and won, and I couldn't do this. Like you will fail. You will not be able to eat what Thor was eating because you're probably not six, nine and 440 pounds and just a brick. Yeah. Well, and, e and even for him, like he has to do kind of a vertical integration diet where it's yeah. like things that are things that are easy to digest mm -hmm. and absorb and things that are specific for his body are easy to digest and absorb. And a lot of people don't realize that like that level of attention to detail goes into it because when you're fitting in that many calories, like just the strain on your digestive tract to, to break down and absorb that many calories that you have to pick really simple, easy to digest foods. He eats a supplemental 
it's a well over, it's probably around a hundred grams of supplemental dextrose every day that he just puts in his food. And I was like, we were literally doing that. We were like putting the supplemental dextrose in our food just to trigger more enzyme, like digestive enzyme production. It's not for extra calories. You realize he's, he's not adding this form of sugar for more calories. He's adding it so that it'll trigger his body to produce more digestive enzymes to break down all the food he's putting into himself. Uh, yeah. That that's crazy. I mean, that just makes I'm like, uh, I had, I mean, I had to, I had to force a lot of calories to keep my weight up when I was playing college football, but it was probably in the neighborhood of 6,000 calories. I can't imagine another, another 4,000 on top of that. Like, uh, well, the thing is, too, is he's eating a very specific, he's not eating like Big Macs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's not eating Big Macs and ice cream. No, no, it's, it's the, very bland, very like that, like, and very calorically dense foods. Because if I look back to like my college days when I could just like eat a ton of food and I was probably eating, you know, I, there are probably days in college where I cleared like 6,000 calories, but it was, it was not like my protein consumption was like probably under a hundred grams. It was probably below what I needed it to be. Right. Cause I was drinking beer and eating chalupas <laughs> you know, like, and oh, I'll get a milkshake. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's not, it's not a macro balance that actually lends itself to, to, to like maintaining any kind of lean body mass. Yeah. Yeah. You're just trying, you're just trying to stay big regardless of, of necessarily what it looks like when you're, when you're focused on the performance side of it. So you, you've now gotten into kettlebell sport. You've alluded to that a, a little bit. And I know that, I know that you're, you're starting to do that. So tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you, how did you get introduced to it? And then uh, how has it been going so far? What have you, like, who's coaching you? What are you working on? When are you, when are you stepping on the platform? Like, what, you know, tell us, tell us, tell us all the details. Well, I, I should, I should couch this by saying I strive to, to be the best drink sports content CEO in the world. I don't, I, and and that's that's like my my goal every day. Um, I might be the worst strength athlete in the world, so I should just I should just get that out of the way. I'm like those who right, can't. You've, those, you've, quali you've qualified those, it. Those you've those who can't it. do write about it. No, uh, but no, <laughs> I, I did get into kettlebell. I, I've had an interest. I've, it's been on my radar for a little while. We've actually written about kettlebell sport um, on Barbend in years past. Not a, not a ton, um, but we have covered it in in a few different ways. Like you know. Um, kettlebell sport style versus long cycle or sorry versus hard style hard we've got style. like an article about that like we've covered and it's been on my radar and as a strength sports nerd nerd i've like known of it you know yeah. um but when um when covid hit honestly when new york went into lockdown it also coincided with a period of time where i just really wanted to lose a bit of weight um i i'd be keeping my weight up and i i had was pretty happy with my, my strength like uh, i could you know pick up this, you know, I could deadlift 500 pounds cold and do all this stuff. And I was just getting a little bit older. You know, I was, I was 30 years old. Um, I just turned 30 and I was looking to drop uh, some, some weight and just kind of reduce impact and, and lift. And that coincided right with COVID shutdowns. And I was like, wow, I, this, I think this might go on for a while. I, 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 my gym, I didn't know how long gyms are going to be shut down at the time. Right. Hmm. Um, like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go crazy. And I had also been lucky to move to pretty recently at the time, um, recently to that time to a place with a backyard in New York and backyard spaces like outdoor spaces at a premium here. Yeah. And I was really lucky. And I was like, well, what can I do to occupy my time? Cause like suddenly my calendar was empty. <laughs> no commute. No. Yeah. I had all this pent up energy and, but I still wanted to like, I actually think it's very important if I'm running bar bend, like I want to be participating in a strength sport. I think it's really disingenuous genuous if I'm not training. And I think there's a difference between working out and training, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Like if I'm not training, then I don't have any idea mentally what the athletes that our team writes about are, are going through. And so I've always been like, okay, if I'm, as long as I'm with Barbin, I need to be training at some level. Um, and I kind of put two and two together and I was like, oh, kettlebell sport. So I kind of beat the rush and I bought competition bells while they were still available at like the very beginning of COVID lockdowns. Um, I think if I'd been a day later, I wouldn't have been able to get them. And I, uh, I, a friend of mine uh, had, uh, used to compete in kettlebell sport and she does some coaching. Her name is Kekka Skirmerhorn. She lives in New York. She's a barbin contributor. I've known her for a number of years, actually. Uh, we worked together uh, um, covering CrossFit regionals years and years ago for CrossFit yep. HQ. And so I was like, hey, um, I know we're going to be virtual. She was in Manhattan. I was in Brooklyn. Like, uh, I'll can you teach, can you, do you think you can teach me kettlebell sport virtually? And she's like, let's give it a go. Um, and uh, that's how it started. So I started in, um, I was doing some other stuff. So I really picked it up at like, 
I'd call it early summer of last year. Like I got the bells and I got the stuff in, but I was also, um, I was rehabbing an injury. So I didn't really like get to training hard, uh, or get to training like in a dedicated way until early summer of 2020. Um, but you know, started learning it, started messing around, uh, long cycle specifically is what I've been training in. Um, haven't messed around much with the snatch yet. So just long cycle and, and I guess short cycle, the jerks. And I just, I really love it. And I, I've really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, the first few months it was kind of like feeling it out. And then I, I really started falling in love with it in the fall. And I was like, I think this is what I want to do. I think this is like the sport that I've found for a while. And also it, it is worth noting a, a big, um, uh, inspiration during this was uh, Bill Esch oh, uh, yeah. at Kettlebell, Kettlebell Warrior. Kettlebell Warrior. I interviewed him for the Barbend podcast, and yep, I was like, was a good "Man, one. this guy is cool. I should like." Yeah. And he mentioned kettlebell sport, and he's like, "Yeah, most of the stuff I post isn't kettlebell sports, kettlebell workouts." But like, if you're really interested in this, he told me, <laughs> "Look at a kettlebell sport." And I was like, "Okay, cool, cool, fine." So, yeah, I've been training for you know, I guess seven, seven, eight. I don't know, maybe seven months, eight months at this point. Um, and then I was able to connect with Bobby Hicks when he was still in New York, which is amazing. I was able to connect uh, with Juan and Carter, who are two yeah. legends of like NYC kettlebells. Yep. Brooklyn community. in the house. They're, they are like the NYC kettlebell community in many ways, in my experience, but because we're not like gathering a bunch of people. Um, then I started buying heavier bells and I started getting more and more into training. And now it's like specifically what I'm training for. I'm very lucky to have a backyard where I can train. It gets cold sometimes. I've trained with it being as cold as 15 outside, but for you're from, that's nothing. That's like a balmy day. <laughs> um, and I've really loved it. And I've gotten, you know, I've, I've, tra- I've literally only had two sessions where I've trained with other people <laughs> and uh, they have been incredible. They've been incredible. So I'm really excited as things open back up uh, to be able to train more with people in the New York city kettlebell sport community, because um, I think that's where you really hone in on technique and pick up on things. You can do as many zoom sessions and virtual sessions as you want video analysis is great but like where you really learn and this is being around a lot of strength sports it's that in person it's being able to just point something out in real time be like adjust this adjust this or like oh that one looked kind of that set looked easier for you what 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 did you change um and it also keeps it entertaining because really we're in this for the people ultimately or at least i am not just the performance and the community has been great to meet so far yeah, the community the community is phenomenal, and I think uh, you know. Well, I mean, even just in the episode you guys released today, you know, you were talking you were talking with your guests about the importance of community and and how that that goes along the evolutionary nature of of human beings, right? We we didn't evolve to work out, right? We we evolved to hunt a thing, kill it, eat yeah. it, and then and then we you know you dance to celebrate or you know like you know so like that communal nature is is like hardwired into us and i think that's one of the things that make crossfit so special mm, yeah. and one of the things that that really makes it the 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 tribe that it is is it's a group of people getting together in a box going through these oftentimes grueling fucking workouts and then but then they you know you slap each other on the back what what was your time and you know you, you have that camaraderie and there's actually research that shows that 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 camaraderie time decreases recovery time like decreases soreness and like incre- increases your 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 ability to rebound from uh from a, a hard training session like that community time is super super important i gotta get you writing for barbend you have such a great way of putting together the verbalizing these concepts um and that was just such a a a really succinct but really impactful way of, um, I, can, I think, summarizing why CrossFit is such a communal thing. So uh, I, I'm absolutely loving listening to how you kind of present these. I feel like I'm spitting out a bunch of stuff and you're refining it and actually giving out a version that people would want to listen to. So oh, thank you. Well, the, the, <laughs> the, the synthesis is the hard part. The, the the being able to distill down what you created, that's that's easier. Right? Like, that's just filtering. So how do we replicate, you know, back in the hunter-gatherer days when people had to go out and hunt their own kettlebells and bring them, <laughs> you know what I mean, back back before kettlebells were domesticated? That's really what, what we have to get back to. Yeah. I think, I think there's, I think you're, I think you're hitting on something that that's pretty important, which, um, one of the things that I, that I love about kettlebell sport, and I think you'll find the first time you get a chance to compete in person and at a meet is that one of the things that's so cool is 
you're not competing against that person that's on the platform mm. next to you. Like, you, like you'll, you know, I think Bill, I think Bill talked about it at his first competition. Like he, he had no idea what the fuck he was doing. And somebody came and showed him how to chalk his bells. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, Oh, here, let me, let me help you. I'll show you what you're doing. And then like, and then like, okay, cool. Good luck, man. And then was on the platform right next to him. And like that in its essence is kind of what the, what the community is about. And like, that's what I, I love that communal nature of it because it's like, we're all in this together, but alone, because when you step on the platforms, it's you and the bells and that's it. And what, what the person next to you is doing goes away typically at a, at a certain point, maybe at the end, if you're truly like in, you're in the same weight class and you're within a couple of reps, like that's a really fun kind of dramatic experience then, but that doesn't happen in most, in most sets. Usually it's just you and your judge and the bells. And, and that is, and that is it, you know? So, and, the, and then the communal aspect comes in afterwards, you know, the, the, the shared, the shared suffering. I don't like, it's also it's there's something beautiful there's something beautiful about experiencing a sport when it is so young in a place like it's still so young and so small in in, in New York and even when I was covering CrossFit in the early in the earlier days not maybe not the earliest days or on as into weightlifting as it was still kind of on its growth trajectory in the United States um, you know there was still an established community and I would say those communities when I became exposed to them were at the time bigger than kettlebell sport is now in the United mm. States right um, what can we do to grow kettlebell sport what can a place like barbend do more to grow kettlebell sport because we want to grow all strength sports right yeah. we think a rising tide lifts all ships that's that's kind of our thesis yeah. um, it is interesting that the community is small enough now to where like you know I got introduced to Juan and Carter two champion lifters at the international level, right? And they were like, cool, uh, we'll, we'll drive down. And where are you? We'll drive down and we'll work out outside together. And I was like, oh, you'll just do, you'll just do that? You know, you're like two of the best in 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 this hemisphere, right? Or yeah. just like, yeah, yeah. Like, just uh, let us know. So you're on the Saturday. Like, we'll, we'll come down. We'll give you some pointers. We'll do some training. We can grab, uh, grab food after. It's fun. I was like, that's cool. And it's something gritty about it too. Cause we're working yeah. out outside. We're like socially distanced, wearing masks, working out outside. It's cold. The first time we were, I worked out with them twice. The first time we worked outside, the wind chill was like 10 degrees. <laughs> and we're like, like putting our hands in our pockets between sets and like trying to put on these extra layers and everyone else is outside looking at us like, what the hell is up with these bozos? Probably not knowing there are two like world champion athletes. Yeah, Car Carter looks like an extra from the wire with his beard and his, and his hat pulled low and you know, just like, just just chilling just chilling out between sets and then and then he goes and bang and then he goes out and bangs out you know a crazy a crazy number of jerks or a crazy you know, like it, it's we did it's it in front of a we did it in front of a local powerlifting uh gym actually we did it in front of south brooklyn weightlifting club because the owners were like oh we'd, we'd like we're, we're we're in talks of potentially trying this is unrelated to, to barb and just kind of more of a personal project with with juan and carter potentially bringing a kettlebell sport club to an established uh strength training facility in brooklyn still very yes. much up in the you know we're still working it out I, um it's kind of impossible to really do a lot right now because of covid um you know there's just not a lot you know there's a lot we just yeah. can't do right now um but like there is interest and i think that um especially with the wave of people working out at home and like getting exposed to kettlebells more due to covid i think that uh brick and mortar uh facility owners are, are like oh like maybe kettlebell sport is something where we can get people in who you know might train at home two or three days of the week, but they'll come in on the weekends and they'll be a member of this club. Maybe it's a way to kind of expand our reach beyond just, you know, the dedicated power lifters and weightlifters and CrossFitters. Yeah. Um, and also I do think it's something that if we, if a, I think when a lot of CrossFitters see it, when and if they'll just have to, just have to go for it. They'll just like dive in full throttle on it. Yeah. I've struggled to convert any CrossFitter. Like it's, it's, it's hard to get them away from their, uh, their, because it's everything's time away from what they're going to be competing in and it's it's kind of hard to get them away from those things but if if they see it in the games i know I, like that's like i know if they see it in the games then it becomes real but until then it's kind of like a distraction that's been the that's kind of been the, the response i've gotten sometimes from at least from people that are that are serious about their crossfit performance i think what i would say is you know i'm not trying to i don't i also don't like want one sport to steal someone from another sport yeah, like yeah, I, that's not that's not what yeah. i'm trying to put out here but i do think it is something where and this is something i've talked to some powerlifters about it could be a really cool off-season thing. Like powerlifters, uh, uh, more and more, I've talked to top-level powerlifters who are doing a lot more conditioning in their off-seasons Yeah, these days. It's um, potentiation, man. It's energy potentiation. They're really focusing on just moving in different, uh, you know, different movement patterns, upping their conditioning, um, <clears throat> just 
and every strength sport has an off season. CrossFit has an CrossFit is at every level if they're competitive, they have an off season. It's different for the different levels, but there's an off season. Powerlifters have an off season. Weightlifters are always like very hesitant to take an off season. <laughs> Um, but they should probably have, but like it probably behooves them. And the great thing about weightlifters is like, you don't have to say it's a new movement. It's like, cool. You're just doing, you're still doing the snatch and clean and jerk. Yeah. It's what yeah. you're used to. It's just different. Um, and so I do think kettlebell sport is something that like a lot of these strength athletes can do in an off season. Now they're, they're probably not going to set a world record by training just part of the year in dedicated kettlebell sport. Right. But I do think it's a sport where like you can learn technique and you can build up to, you know, trying a competition or trying a long cycle or trying probably biathlon might be a little harder with like a few months of, of prep. You're probably not going to set a world record, well, right? Come in and rank. I mean, especially guys, especially high level power lifters or guys that are high level, high level Olympic weightlifters. Like they've, they've already got the, the engine built for the, for the most part. It's just, you know, it's just a matter of acquisition of skill and then intensification of that skill, right? Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. And they have, uh, you know, the foundation is already there from a physiological perspective. It's just a little bit of tra transition work. I think Bill Esch is a perfect example of that. You know, he set an American record, I think, in the, with with uh, the 24 kilogram long cycle after like a year of training. Yeah, because well, Bill he, Esch is a freak. I mean, let's, he's a freak. Let's, just, he's let's a, just be clear. I mean, if you look, if you look, if you look at a picture, he's a freak. Yeah, if you look at a picture of the man, it's like okay, something's different. He built different. Um, yeah. but like he was a weightlifter, right? And you know, kettlebell sport is something where he's like, well, he's like, I knew I could lift the bells, right? I. Yeah but I knew I could lift two 24 kilo bells overhead. That's what he was competing at the time. And he was like, and I always kind of liked the endurance stuff and never really got to do it. So he took to it. And then like, he made a lot of quick progress. Right. Um, and then he's also like, yeah, but the moving from the 24s to the 32s was yeah. like a four year process. Um, <laughs> which is what I'm really excited about. Yeah, there's a very much a non-linear uh, non curve there, but uh, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. Um, but yeah, so I think it's something that can be complimentary to um, strength. I think it's something where I don't think kettlebell sport has to steal these other athletes away necessarily. Yeah. I think it can be complimentary. I think it can be fun, and I think it can really create the variety that I know a lot of strength athletes crave. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree. And I'm very much a rising tide lifts all boats person as well. I feel like the, I mean, we need to get more people moving in this country just in general, obviously, like my mission is, is to help people help people build healthy, sustainable lifestyles. So by any by any means necessary, I'm, I'm so anti dogmatic. I'm like, hey, if you're into CrossFit, awesome. If that's what gets you fired up and out of, and out of your house and lifting weights, awesome. If it's running marathons, cool. Like, I, you know, whatever, whatever keeps you moving and keeps you happy. I think I think that's cool. I think one thing that we need to learn from crossfit and, and powerlifting and olympic weightlifting is upping the production value and upping the entertainment mm. value mm. of it because mm. um i mean frankly kettlebell sport can be boring i mean i've told my wife not to come to my competitions because she talked about bringing our two young children to my competitions to watch me and i'm like babe it's it's going to be three hours of standing around watching people lifting weights and i'm competing in one event and that's going to be boring for them after two three minutes <laughs> like they can't watch me work out at home and and stay focused for more than a couple of minutes which is fine like the end is very exciting especially if you've got a couple of high level athletes competing really well but i'm you know i've been been brainstorming with with people about like what can we do to up the production value up the entertainment value of of kettlebell sport how it's presented how it's marketed and and that and that thing i'm curious what your thoughts are on that that's a great question and you know, i i appreciate you asking and it's worth noting i'm still relatively new to the sport so i'm still learning a lot about the sport and i've never been to a competition in person so you know i don't necessarily know that 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 vibe right um but i do a lot of color commentary on weightlifting and a lot of people would say that is a very boring sport and color commentary exists so that we can partially make it more exciting um so i think that's one thing i think um color comment like good color commentary in kettlebell sport could be really really fun to play around with it's something i hope to be able to do someday because i've never had that duration to actually like weightlifting you're doing color commentary between the lifts right crossfit most events are fairly short and like people finish at different times, right? It's who finishes fastest, finishes fastest. But if you have a set time domain of 10 minutes, um, I guess they have AMREPs in CrossFit, right? Which is yeah. basically kettlebell sport. Um, so I think there's a lot of fun that can be, a lot of things that can be done there on the color commentary side to keep it um, interesting from an audio perspective. I also think that you can look at what CrossFit has done with some of their events. They have really taken to kind of, um, experimenting with the format of events to make them more spectator friendly. For example, 
and this is not something you could easily do in kettlebell sport. A few years ago at the games, they actually introduced a system where you would move down the field of play mm, with, yeah. with every 10 reps. So you'd yeah. have like, you know, shoulder to overhead at this heavy weight. And every time you yeah, they had like five reps. or six different barbells set up right? and you could yeah. see who, who was where based on which bar they were lifting. You moved down, you moved exactly. And it kind of made it exciting. I think for kettlebell sport, exploring more events where you actually change the lift and uh, is going to be exciting. Cause what is exciting about those events is when you see the first person to move on. Mm. Right. So for kettlebell sport, it might be something like a triathlon where you're doing in some combination, the long cycle, the short cycle and the snatch or something like that. Because yeah. the most exciting part of those events in CrossFit are, you know, when the announcers get really hyped up, it's like, oh, Tia Claire Toomey is the first to the final 10. Her judge has their hand up. Um, that's really cool. And for kettlebell sport, if you're actually able to combine a few different lifts into one, you know, like a 10 minute triathlon, uh, I guess is kind of what they're calling it now. Yeah. That's really exciting. I saw Dennis did one on YouTube or on YouTube on his Instagram. And it was super exciting when he switched to just the snatch and like threw the other bell yeah. into like a big tire or something. Yeah. I was watching that whole thing. I was like, Oh snap. That's so cool. <laughs> Imagine if you're the first person, you know, if the first person in a line of people makes it to uh, makes it to like the snatches in that. That's a really exciting moment. You don't have to make the full. I'm sorry, I'm going on. I'm, I'm no, no, it's great. On. I love it. You don't have to make the full ten minutes exciting, right? Yeah. Um, you know, people watch marathons. People watch the Tour de France. These are things that are much longer and sometimes much more monotonous than kettlebell sport. But you have to have signposts to keep people engaged. Yeah, and you have to have those moments of anticipation. So, how do you build those moments of anticipation? I don't know. There are a lot of different ways. Maybe you're, the platform is lit up and it changes color when someone gets within five reps of a record or it changes color when someone hits 100 reps during their long cycle. Or maybe when they change to a different lift during the middle of a triathlon, like something happens and you know yeah, uh, even not, just i mean even just i mean the color commentary i think is a, is a great piece too just because for contextualization like most people don't have the context of what is happening uh, like the uninitiated have no idea what the context is like they could watch kim fox destroy the world record and have no context to be excited about it or even realize how amazing what she just did was other than it's like wow that she looks really strong <laughs> bobby bobby hicks said it really well when i was chatting with him about the kim fox article and there's a section in the fox article about this he's like look he, he's like look kettle sport is exciting it's one of the most exciting things you can find it's the last minute that is really exciting it's like the last two minutes of a basketball game of a close basketball game but it's always close imagine like the last imagine that go time right yeah. but it's like always close the last two minutes or the last minute of someone at the end of a 10 minute set we kind of like watching that suffering we kind of like watching the form breakdown yeah. we like watching these amazing specimens of humanity struggle you know on the snatches they're having to go real low and they're not yeah. they're not able to keep like, that oh nice is that one gonna swing. touch is that one gonna yeah, is he gonna yeah. throw it through the tv I don't yeah think. it's like there are all these moments so it what do we do to get people to that last minute and what anticipation points can we build in until we get folks to that last minute? Yeah. That's, I think what kettlebell sport at a competitive level should play around with and not be afraid to experiment with. I, I'm one of the things I think I'm, I want to see if we can do at my competition, by the way, we're hosting a competition October 9th. I would, you know, this is an official invitation to, to come to the twin cities um, for, for I've a never competition been. here. So come to, come to Minneapolis. It's beautiful here. We have green spaces. It's, I tell people it's like Chicago with the volume turned to six. So that makes it probably about a three on the New York scale, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, we have a lot of green spaces. We still have the city. Um, I've got a park and you know, I've got a lake in my backyard, but I'm also like, 15 minutes from downtown Minneapolis. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a nice, a nice happy medium. But uh, one of the things I want to play with here and in, in, I'm, you know, talking with people about this is I want to do like a team relay where it's, you know, you get three different lifters. So somebody who's a jerk specialist can go bang out two minutes or three minutes of jerk. And then they pass the baton to somebody who's doing, you know, four minutes of snatch. And then somebody passes it to who's somebody who's doing three minutes of long cycle. And every team is, is, is three people. And, that even translates to the international level because you could have just like you have at the Olympics, you could have your A team for team USA. You could have a B team, you could have a C team and, and all of those lifters instead of having, cause I've seen relays before where it's like six, seven, eight people. And that that's, 
that's cool as well. But like, I, I just kind of liked the idea of like one specialist per lift. And then you get to see the best in the world at that particular lift. And then like, who, like, I don't know who's going to beat the Russian team, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, you know, you get to that point at some point where there, you know, the, you know, there are other, there are other athletes that can compete with, uh, with the Russian team. There are a lot of fun permutations you can experiment with. You could do different lifts. You could do relays. Uh, you could, exp exp uh, you know, explore time domains, right? <clears throat> like I, I love kettlebell sport because I love the 10, like I love training for, the idea of training for something that's a grueling 10 minutes. Like I truly love that. I yeah. don't ever want that to go away from the sport having been exposed to it now. But like, you know, you could experiment with shorter, shorter events, right? I think the, the uh, California Open that's coming up has five-minute events people can yep. train for, right? Yep. You, 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 there are a lot of ways to play around with time domains, with lists, with combinations, with teams, with relays. There are like 17 permutations we've already talked about, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't now it's have just to be... time to test and iterate and see. Yeah. Dave, I really want to I really want to be respectful of your time, but I thank you so much for for coming on. I have I have one last question for you, and it's it's going back to going back to your to your podcast. Now you've gotten to interview some of the the best and brightest minds in in sports and athletic like in strength sports. So of of those people, um, I'm two part question: who was who was the 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 most intimidating person to interview, uh, and then who who was the the person that you had the most fun interviewing? Oh man, I'm gonna get in trouble for this one. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna get me in trouble for sure. Well, I'm not giving you uh, softballs all no, day. No, 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 no. You're, uh, it's, it's a hundred percent okay. The most, um, I'd say the most intimidating. Okay, intimidating is not the right word. Yeah, I was just gonna but, say that. maybe that's but, not the maybe that's not the right word. It's 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 my job to be not intimidating. <laughs> not intimidating. <laughs> if someone were intimidating me, I, like I wouldn't inter. I just like wouldn't interview them. Um, but I think the the one where I, I showed up and I was like, wow, I really have to have my ducks in a row here on the questions I ask. And I somehow still got it wrong sometimes. Uh, it was with, uh, he's actually a friend. Uh, he's a barbian contributor, Dr. Connor Heffernan. Um, he writes on uh, the history of physical culture and strength sports. He actually works, he's a professor at the University of Texas and he works at the Stark Center there, which is a whole program on the history of strength sports. It's super cool. And he's just such a knowledge well. He's just, he has so much knowledge about everything. I knew when interviewing him, I was going to ask a question and still get a fact wrong because <laughs> he just knows so much. And he's yeah. so, he's anything I would, I would encourage everyone to give him a follow, to look up his articles, just, you know, look up Connor Heffernan, uh, Barbed, and you'll find a whole list of amazing articles he's written about us. He wrote a great, um, uh, he's, he's written a ton of really interesting articles about everything from strength equipment to different strength sports. Anyway, that was one where I was like, wow, no matter what I do, no matter how much I prepare, I'm, you know, I'm just going to have a drop in the bucket of the knowledge of this person. I'm not even yeah. going to have enough knowledge to ask him the good questions. <laughs> and he, he ended up saying a few times in that podcast, cause he's so friendly and accommodating and nice. He's like, well, I think what you're really asking is, is this. And I was like, yes, please ask, you know, answer that question. Um, and the podcast I had the most fun with, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of really fun, a lot of really, really fun recordings um, one of the ones I enjoyed most was Cole Sager. He's a CrossFit Games athlete. Um, and he's just like this amazingly nice guy. And like, we just, we just like sat down. We both had a cup of coffee. It turns out he's like really into coffee culture. And I was kind of nerding out on coffee at the time. And we just had this like fun conversation and the podcast did pretty well, but I worry that people listen to it and they're like, yeah, there wasn't like anything of substance. These guys were just kind of broing out. But I just remember like getting off that podcast and being like, wow, he made my day better. And I just will, I, I just really, really remember that very distinctly. So Cole Sager, I had a Cole, if you're listening to this, I had an amazing time interviewing you. Let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Well, this, this was a lot of fun for me. I hope, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I very much enjoy, I enjoy Barbend a lot. I've, I've been a Barbend follower for, for many years. Um, so like, I, I love that you guys built a website that helped me when I was getting into, you know, well, I've always been into strength sports, but when I was like looking for resources, I was like, Oh, somebody made like the central repository of, of strength resources, you know? So like, I, I very much appreciate your vision and what you guys have done. And it's, you know, I love the work that you're doing with the, with the para weightlifting team and, and all of the, the charitable work that you guys 
guys do. So, you know, I just want to, you know, tip the cap to you guys for, for everything that you've done. And it's a, you know, a testament to your guys' culture. I'm glad to see you guys are, you are the biggest, you know, the biggest website for in strength sports. And, you know, I wish you nothing but like continued success and growth. Like it's, it's fantastic. So very much appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for having me. Can I ask, actually ask one thing of your audience? And this goes for you as well. Um, we want to write more on kettlebell sport. Reach out to me on social. Reach out to Barbend on social. I'm at David Thomas Tao on Instagram. I'm at D underscore Tao on Twitter. I'm at oh, David. Yeah, I forgot to ask I'm, you. Where should no, people follow oh, no. you? I, I'm just saying this. So uh, David at Barbend.com um, as far as email. Um, if you want to hear more about kettlebell sport on Barbend, um, let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know what topics you want written about. And if you're interested in writing or you know someone who might be, uh, we're trying to increase our contributor base for people who are really knowledgeable about Cuddlebus Fort and passionate about it. I can't promise I'll say yes to every pitch. In fact, my job and my editorial team's job is actually to turn down more pitches than we say yes to. So that's a disclaimer. And not everyone, um, you know, we have a lot of, we probably have a dozen people approach us each day about writing for Barbin and we turn down the vast majority of them. But I am 100% down to get more kettlebell sport content and resources available on Barbend. And I'm not going to pretend like I know the best things to write about now or the best way to do that. So if we could hear from the kettlebell sport community about what they want to see and who they want to hear from, um, I would absolutely love to hear that. Awesome. Awesome. So you guys got it. I'll put, I'll put links in the show notes so that you can follow David. You can, you can hit him up with the topics that you want to, that you want to hear about. And uh, if you've got some skill with the quill, then, uh, you know, reach out to David and, and make your pitch and see if you can get through the, get through the process, the application process, because we definitely want to see more. We definitely want to see the, the audience grow and, and see, see more content out there that, that people can tie into. So love that. Thank you so much for that. No problem. All right. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate your time and have a good night, brother. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm Jordan Kundi wright If you have a question, please email me at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub, on Twitter at TCKBClub, online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com, And please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.